you go underground in Fermanagh, as many have done down the years. Overhead, mountains, heather, lakes, tidy farmsteads, grey stone churches and their skyward spires, myriad fields of unfolding history. And here, beneath the land, a river runs through all, big enough to sail in. You could live down here. You could sing the future from here. What height are we looking at for most of the way through? Most of the way through, you could range. We have some chambers that are the size of cathedrals, mm-hmm. and then we have some that you have to go right down, um, and they've built pathways through the rivers, so ranging anywhere from 2 metres up to 20, 30, 40. I mean, it's, it's still quite wet in places, and I presume as well that depending on the weather, outside and depending on the amount of rain, that the water level here will vary. Yeah, so um, we have the most active river cave in the UK and Ireland, so we've got those three rivers flowing in. The caves are very, very wet most around the year. In Fermanagh, we have no shortage of rain as well. So <laughs> plenty, plenty of water. Yeah, no shortage of that here. Lovely, shiny environment. But it's, it's beautiful. The rock is amazing to look at. The marble arch caves are a wonder. One of the many wonders of this remarkable county. A county of lakes divided by Loch Erne, Upper and Lower, by the past, by the border. But somehow united in itself, in its own internal logic of held contradictions. The voices flow like water. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape, and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. The celebrated American folklorist and writer Henry Glassie first set foot in County Fermanagh in 1972. He came, he said, to study how people endured on the edge of conflict. And settling into a small mixed community of Ballymanone in South Fermanagh, Glassie wrote a series of books based on his time there, the stars of Ballymanone among them. Every day I walked out of the lovely town of Enniskillen, stepping to the hedge when armoured cars hurtled past, turning in along familiar lanes to wander the low hills that pitch and drift beside the Arnie River. Walking, I got to know every dog, bog, and pass, every farm, every house, every person who lived there, and I worked with them, clamping turf and rooking hay. I first read Henry Glossy's work in my early 20s. Years on, I go back to Ballymanone to trace the legacy of Glassie's work in the community, a legacy spearheaded by Barney Devine, whom we meet near the Arnie River and Upper Loch Erne. The countryside is largely pastoral, and at the time that Henry was here, most of the houses would have been thatched, cottages. Are we here in the heart of Ballymanone now? You're on the very edge of Ballymanone now, yeah. Ballymanone was a cluster of townlands, uh, and that cluster of townlands is Rostoni and Drumbargi, Gort Donaghy. Yeah. But really, I mean, in many ways, it's an unremarkable place. This isn't, as Henry says, the sweeping grandeur of the mountains of Morn sweeping down to the sea. This is drumlands next to a body of water with mountains in the distance, small fields, but it's the people that make a place. Saturated with history and life and culture. Absolutely. And the people and the saints and the brigands and the sectarian fights and the major battles, these guys knew it. And they talked about it endlessly, night after night after night. And they unpacked it and they knew what they were talking about. And it's that that is the richness of the people and the culture and that twilight period, the pre-electrification, when people had the time and desire to do that, to talk and to unpack these. This unpacking of culture and tradition, this exchange of talk and music in small kitchens was known locally as Cailing. Henry tapped into that culture which was everywhere in Ireland at the time where 
people used to call with each other. Uh, doors were never locked. They would just you know, announce themselves. And up to 20, 25 people regularly came off an evening. And the conversation was usually about what happened that day and so on and so forth. Some of the talk was also about ghosts and fairies and the respect people had for fairy forts, features of the local landscape associated with the good people. Landowners, by and large, don't touch a fairy forth. And those that do touch a fairy forth, the schadenfreude with which their neighbours talk about the delicious revenge that was wreaked upon people who damaged or destroyed a fairy forth. So we have fairy forests here and Henry recorded Ellen Cutler talking about the fairy forests just outside her house, actually, in Gort Donaghy. Ellen Cutler was a local Protestant woman who lived on a small farm. And uh, about her husband taking the pig to market and he was butchering the pig and he needed some skewers to hold open the cavity that is in the ribs in order to pull out all of the entrails. And he went out to, to this fourth to get a piece of a skewer to put in the pig and got the piece of a stick or rod and when he went out the next morning, the best pig he had, his two hands were broken. In the butchering of the pig, didn't he destroy the hands, which is the main part of the pig that you would get your money on at the market. So we only got half of what he was anticipating getting and of course, Ellen wagged the finger and says, well, you were told you don't go anywhere near the fairy forth and that's what happened to you. So there were all these wonderful yarns that he recorded about Ellen and others talking about the folklore associated with the fairy forths. And even today, even today, I know people who would not touch anything on a fairy forth and there's no logic to it and long may it continue. Barney Devine has helped develop a remarkable online resource, the Quilcook to Cleanish Multimedia Memory Map, where you can tap into the landscape to hear stories and songs of heritage, history and the culture of Ballymanone and a much wider area. Fifty years on, Henry Glossy's rich work of recording and mapping continues in new ways. Heritage is an older person's thing and to me... As a person now of my age, I suppose, I'm still trying to get my daughter to read Henry Glassie's book. She's just done a degree in English and she's a great reader and writer. But I said to her, even today, I says, you know what? You won't read Henry Glassie until I'm dead. And then you'll read Henry Glassie and you'll go, I wish I had read it when he said I should have read it and I could have had a chat with him about it. And she still laughed and she walked away. Mind you, I read them at 21. But you're weird. <laughs> That's true. With a nod to local tradition, we do a little Kayleeing in Bow, dropping in on Margaret Gallagher and her sister Frida, who's visiting from England, with the local sports day a key part of her visit. They're in the beautiful three-roomed thatched cottage where they grew up. Dresser, delf, open fire, every traditional detail intact. Margaret remembers Henry Glassy and admires his work. Over tea and ginger cake, the sisters share memories of a childhood outing to the very first Belcoo Sports Day in 1947. The sports are just a variety of bands, there's fancy dress, there's a whole lot of things. But on my first day, I can remember so little. I can remember Tommy Boyne's hackney car coming, Freed and I getting new ankle socks in Mrs Conway's shop in Belcoo and a ribbon for her hair. We always had a slide. Get the hair pulled straight back here and a ribbon in it right up there above your nose and you had a slide somewhere. You were very yuppie if you had a slide and we had a slide, I think we had two brown slides or maybe one between the two of us. But anyway, we went in the Hackney car with our mother, father never went to any of those places, down to the hall for Mass. Mass was said by Father Leyden and when Mass was over, Mrs Conway, who had the shop on the Main Street, James and Roseanne Conway, they brought us down for tea, Frida, my mother and, and the two children. 
We had never been in a house with stairs and Mrs Conwell let us run up and down the stairs. We thought we'd won the lottery. Then we were brought out to the field by our mother and she walked us around the field. I remember pipe bands and things like that, but very little. But I know that our neighbour's daughter, Nora McGuinness, won the egg and spoon race. And then apparently I fell asleep and I was carried home. There was no hackney car back. The activities you were asking about, 100 yards race, egg and spoon, jumping, sack race, um, two-legged race. I ran the 100-yard race a couple of times, didn't win a thing. It was a big downer, but that was. Tug of war for the men, that was most entertaining. I did love the bands, though. They were lovely bands. Lots of drumming, and it was most entertaining for us who had no entertainment of any sort. Marching bands were great. You'd hear the pipes, you know... Long before you'd see them, and they came from either Cowork, Cavnacara, and then you had. You're listening to the County Measure, and we're in Fermanagh. The remarkable landscapes and environment here often stop you in your tracks. For the dedicated explorer and nature lover, a key site is the Quilcock UNESCO Geopark, a land area of some 20,000 hectares, encompassing the invisible border to take in parts of Cavan as well as Fermanagh. As you can see, it's still a working area, a working farm. Good working farm. This is a protected natural world, astonishingly rich in flora, fauna, and the history of human settlement. Here we meet Ian a tour guide who helps decode some of the wonders of the place. Behind us is cloaked in fog today. That's Kulki Mountain, OK? Top of Kulki Mountain would have been a huge river delta, bigger than the Amazon Delta today. And that's all that's left of it today, due to the last ice age. And look at those strange little hills in the distance. Those are called mud mounds. They were laid down 340 million years ago, when Ireland didn't exist. And during the last ice age, the ice got lazy. It couldn't bulldoze them away like everything else, so it went round them and smoothed them off. And I'm going to show you some glacial erratics now here shortly. Glacial erratics simply mean the rock is not sitting on, on the rock that it came from. I'll point a couple of to you. Now, you see those lovely round sandstone rocks there? Mm-hmm. And there's one over there. You can imagine... The first people come into Ireland and they come across these beautiful round rocks. They didn't know much about geology, but they knew that these were different to the rocks on the ground. Why are they smooth? There must have been people here before us. There must have been giants to have carried that stuff down and left it there. And these glacial erratics have been revered for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, they were so important that uh, during the late Bronze Age, uh, the local people here carved little marks into them. That's called Atlantic rock art. And we do have a really good amount of rocks here with that on it. Ian bounds over the brow of a hill through a small wooded area. We're actually walking along an ancient walkway here, folks. It's been walking maybe for thousands of years. And here's some rock art here. Atlantic rock art on this glacial erratic. Little cups and circles, it's called cups and whirls, that has been hewn out of the sandstone. That is really hard stuff. So they had to use something equally as hard. Would they have been using some kind of stone chisels? A stone chisel, but in the Bronze Age, that's Bronze Age, so they would have had uh, bronze chisels or uh, copper chisels. Mm-hmm. So they, you reckon, are made by humans? Oh, they're they're, they not, can't, they're, not, they're uh, not part of the natural they're shape not, of the rock. Uh, as I said before, people revered these rocks because they knew they weren't limestone. They didn't know why they got here, so they must have thought... This has been left behind by some mythical giant. Nobody could carry this and leave it down. Ian is completely at home here, knows and loves every wall, rock and cranny. The colours alone here are absolutely beautiful. In fact, this is the best I've seen this for a long time. Every wildflower, moth and butterfly. And I'm looking at, you know, here, loads of buttercups, thistle, 
is there a wild orchid in there? Is a particular wild orchid, orchid? Yeah. Um, beautiful. It's beautiful. We have harebell as well here. We have a little plant I'll show you here. Harebell further down. It might stop a flower in there, but there you are. It's called Ibrite. Ah, I've often seen that and wondered yeah. what it is. Now, in some places you could go three metres and you have a different colour of flower and a different height of growth. These Semi- tiny, tiny the white flowers. beautiful little plant. Now, like, like a miniature, miniature daisy, isn't it? It's like yeah. a, the tiniest little white, the yellow centre. It's semi-parasitic. And uh, look at that blue there. You love it, don't you? I do love this. This is a place of healing for Ian. For mana holds a world of hurt as well as beauty. And nature sometimes helps to heal past traumas. I suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. And sometimes it's a spiral into hell. And this is the only thing that keeps my mind mind sane. Um, Keeps your peace. Yeah. And... I would suggest to anybody else that has mental issues, problems, is to try and get out and just take a walk along the countryside because it does help. There's no doubt about it, you know? I think sometimes just to touch touch the ground, oh, touch like, plants like that. If you had worries in your mind, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have them by the time you finished walking around here. Crossing again, crossing the urn. Much longer bridge this time. I think we're actually quite close to Bow Island. We we passed early, we passed San for Lusty Moor Island. And again you're reminded that the islands in, in the lakes, the lochs of Ireland, you know, had so much monastic life, early settlement, Cranogues, rich, rich repository of history of life. I visit the small graveyard where the famous Boa Island stone figures stand in tranquility. One of them, Janus faced, cryptic and serene as any Christ or Buddha. Oh, the ferns are lovely, aren't they? Grounded and transcendent, they hold a shock of connection to all that has gone before. It's very moving somehow to stand in this old, almost circular graveyard and then to stand facing the the famous Janus-like figure, the stone, two faces. This early art comes from lake and island life. And artists still look to the light of Fermanagh water for inspiration. One of these artists is the watercolourist Marjorie Leonard. We're here in my studio in the butter markets in Enniskillen. And Marjorie, you're particularly interested in landscapes of Fermanagh and you've done a lot of paintings in and around Loch Erne. And is that from a love of the lake and a connection to to those landscapes? My inspiration when I'm painting is I want to capture the light. Can you show us one of the paintings maybe that you think illustrates something of that? I can see several already. Yes. Well, this one here, what I was trying to capture here was the mistiness. Fermanagh is quite a damp county and I wanted to capture the... The mistiness of the morning and the peacefulness. Lockern is, it's so peaceful when you get out there and um, there's just a sense of calm. It's lovely, that kind of, that really pale light, the mist. There's a boat on the lake, you've got the reeds, you've got mm-hmm. the shape of maybe two islands and mm-hmm. the light, there's a possibility of the sun emerging yes. through the mist. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really... Kind of, and it's funny because this morning, early, was yes. really misty it here. It was, yes. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I presume that's going to clear and the sun's going to come. And of course mm-hmm. it does. And you have the feeling in that painting mm-hmm. that the sun is just there. It's a little faint pink thing that's going to emerge mm-hmm. and illuminate the lake. It's lovely. But I, I love the boat as well and the reflection of the boat in the water. Mm-hmm. They do say there's an island for every day of the year on Loch Erne, so they say. Keep you painting for a good while. (laughs) 
Water defines so much in this landscape. In the Marble Arch Caves, part of the Kulkuk Geopark, you enter a subterranean world, and a vast one. It's like entering another hemisphere, or a film set, somewhere between Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. A strong river coursing through, amazing-shaped stalagmites and stalactites, a cool, coursing air, the drip of water from above. It's an entire world here, and one very familiar to development officer Michelle Shannon, who says she now feels almost more comfortable down here in the caves than above ground. It all began when she was in school. This person walked into the classroom one day and said, we're thinking of bringing some of you out caving um, to try it, and would anybody be interested? And I don't know why, but the, the hand went up in the classroom. And at that point, I was a very small, I'm still under five foot two, very petite little girl. And they kind of looked at me and went, well, give it a go. And we went into a cave system in Bow, and I was just taken. It was just so different. It was going into another world. And when I came out, I just this light bulb went on in my head. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do more. How do I do this? Then when I was 18, I ended up volunteering again. And I went to Romania on a four-week caving expedition where we camped on the side of the Carpathian Mountains. And I remember this massive cave entrance. It was about 40 metres high. And I was just like, whoa. And I was walking into the cave entrance and through the river. And the river was only knee, knee deep. It wasn't that deep at all. And as I walked in, I was standing in the river and I looked up and I went, wow, the roof is so high. And then I went, oh, wow, the roof is moving. And then I took in the smell and I realized there was bats. And all the people in the distance could hear was me laugh and then looked at me and I fell flat on my back. Thousands of bats flew over the top of me. And the whole time I was just lying there in the stream laughing because it was just so surreal. <laughs> that memory has stuck in my head forever. It would. <laughs> There's just something about it. You can see yourself when you're standing here. You can hear the water. You can smell the moisture of the water in the air. You can hear the river in the distance. And that river will never sound the same two days in a row. There's always something. You're walking through darkness with a head torch on and you don't know what to expect when you walk around a corner, but it's the closest thing I'll ever get to walking on the moon. It's a different world. So you found that thing you love really early on. Great thing. Yeah, perfectly designed for caving as well. You know, I've been through some very small chambers. The rule of thumb is if you're the first person through it, you get to name the passageway. So there's a passageway down in the burn in County Clare that I'm very proud of called Michelle's Twister. <laughs> <laughs> I went through it once, but I wouldn't go through it. I wouldn't go through it today. That's all I'll say. You're immortalised. Um, but if I'm ever having a bad day and you're looking for Michelle, you'll find her in her lunch break going for a walk underground because there's just something, something about it that relaxes you. One late I chanced to stray down by a shady grove. I little thought I would be caught all in the snares of love. Returning to my dwelling place... Fermanagh has a great tradition of music and song. Gabriel McArdle, Cahill McConnell, John Joe Maguire, the McCainy sisters and a host of others carry music on. Rosie Stewart is one of the McCainy family and her voice is splendid in the caves. I stood a moment to condole, not knowing what to do, how to address this comely lass appearing in my view. Said I, my pretty fair maid, will you consent to be my bride? And we'll sail away to America and leave Loch side. Beautiful. Rosie Stewart, I've heard you sing in many places before, but never, <laughs> never in a cave, <laughs> never in the Marble Arch Cave. First time for uh, everything. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Great tradition of music and song in Fermanagh. 
Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. You you grew up on that. Yeah, in all you know, in all sort of parts in all areas. You know, whether it's like you know Belco, Garrison, Irvinstown, Lisnesky, all the music that was in the area. Then you had like the McConnells from. And of course, your own family, your sisters, the Kenny yeah. sisters, uh, and you grew up in a in a house, <laughs> a oh, house full of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, my grandfather lived with us. He wasn't able to to be out and about, so people came in to see him, and then the songs that go round and the music would go round. The Quilcock Geopark overhead stretches borderless to Cavan. But Rosie has clear memories of a time when Fermanagh was divided from its neighbouring counties in the Republic. We, again, we've talked about this before, and you, you know, you were cousins of foxes across in yes, Leitrim, yeah, yeah. and you were all cut off by road closures and, and yeah. all of that reality of the border. And was that very clear to you as, as, uh, as an issue, even growing up? Oh, yeah. The foxes, for example, we would have been very close to them when we were children. And we would have visited, you'd have a visit, like maybe you'd go twice in the summer to their house and they'd come over twice to us, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, in North Leitrim, yeah. yeah, it wasn't that far. There was a bus and all sorts of things. But, like, when the, blew up, when the road was gone, you would have had to drive all the way around by Black Lion and Glenfern. And it was just, you know, because people didn't have good, <laughs> they didn't have good cars. Mm-hmm. We got through it. Everybody does, you know. What would you miss most, do you think, about for Manor if you were ever exiled from it. I don't think I don't think at this stage in my life there's much danger of me being exiled. It's a bit, bit like a reverse desert <laughs> island is. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'd probably miss the land. I'd miss the I'd miss the peace and the tranquility and uh, get a bit you lost. Know. Yeah. Sing, it, sing, <laughs> a, yeah. sing a bit. Yeah, that's yourself. true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I'm very glad to have shared a bit of the Marble Arch caves <laughs> with you, Rosie. <laughs> I'm delighted as well. Not every so, day. That was lovely. It was lovely right. now. Yeah. To hear you singing here, yeah. just such a, such a treat. Yeah. You're listening to The County Measure with Vincent Woods. Coming up, the Battle of Pettigo, the changing face of Enniskillen, and remembering a short step for Mam. You're listening to The County Measure with Vincent Woods. Enniskillen is a changed town since my young days when we often crossed from Leitrim to shop here. It feels more open somehow, brighter, outward-looking. There are dual-language Irish and English street signs and an interesting young energy in the place. Several bars doing open mic nights, mixing music, poetry and spoken word. That youth energy has been around for a long time. There, in the music of Mama's Boys, and now reflected in some striking and colourful street murals. My name's Kevin McHugh. I'm a mural slash illustrator artist. And we're here in the Diamond in Enniskillen looking at a mural that you made fairly recently. Five musicians, all linked for mana, one in particular... John McManus, great fiddle player from Derry Lynn, yeah. would be very well known to a lot of people. Yes, uh, when I was asked to paint a, tr- a trad scene, the initial plan was just that there were just five fictional people. As I started to draw it out, I, I just realised it would be a great, great tribute to John, just, and it was just the perfect opportunity right in the, in the heart of the town just to put John there. And the rest are mostly fictional, except the banjo player, who's actually a friend of mine, Sinead McGorman. But she deserves to be there too, because she's a fantastic musician. What it does as well, Kevin, is it, it celebrates that tradition of music in Fermanagh, and a Derry Lynn especially, a great centre of music. And, of course, that link to Mama's Boys, yeah. through the McManuses again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, you grew up with strong thing of music here, though you're not from the town, from Enniskillen, going to a record shop down the road, a lot of music around the town, and there yeah. still is. There still is, yeah. Obviously, lockdown has dampened things a little bit, but it's only temporary because Enniskillen has been always fantastic. Years ago, we started a music collective called Aaron Music Collective, and we set up uh, rehearsal spaces and equipment and all for all the bands, and it just... it exploded with bands and we were all in the middle of that as well you know forming our own bands and 
and it's great it's great now because you see bands and you don't know anyone in it and that's that's great because as you know that's another generation or maybe two generations later from me you know well I was struck last night wandering around the town by the number of open mic sessions there are mm. two on a Tuesday night one starting on a Thursday night yeah you know music poetry poetry as well yeah it's all happening because it's so full of creative people you have an audience then because it embraces that and you know at no point do you ever feel self-conscious about going out and showing your wares <laughs> you know because there, there's people who want to listen to it and what kind of response have you got to the mural probably in the whole week I was here half the time was spent just talking to people people just set up chairs and sort of took it as a performance art piece <laughs> rather than just a work in progress but it was great you know and Fermanagh generally in good fettle Fermanagh is in good fettle Fermanagh I could not live anywhere else I mean, look at what you've got. You've got the lakes, mountains over there, and and the people. The people are mad. <laughs> They're mad, and they always make noise. But it, it it's a it's got a melody to it. Always good to remember that sound and the group who made it, Mama's Boys, and the track their Mama. We're all crazy now. The creative energies of Enniskillen and the wider county meet in the Fermanagh Writers Group, who regularly gather in Blakes of the Hollow, a pub loved and celebrated by writer John McGarrett. The group of writers is open, diverse, supportive of each other, and they produce a digital community cross-arts magazine, Corncrake, as well as a number of print publications. We join them in Blakes and hear prose writing and poems on themes as diverse as the Enniskillen workhouse, personal struggle and sexual identity, and Shakespeare's The Tempest, reimagined on the island that is Enniskillen. He told us about the old graveyard and our kin buried there. Now looking back, I remember my father standing there, bareheaded. I think of the workhouse, I think of the paupers in the graveyard, I whisper a private prayer. There are not so many now, the ghosts inside my head. The old ghosts still are there, Laris and Penates. Someone said you look just like your sister, though I Cole's monument looks down on him, on high disapproval that is set in stone. I am from Rude Girt and Pearly Pea, branches of largely untamed trees, from green fingers, silken skin, autumnal hunting, trad tunes and blackberry stains. Layer on layer upon layer of lustrous paint creating striations of wondrous colours indigo red green My name is Theresa Kane and I'm from Fermanagh and growing up in rural Fermanagh in this townland called Coe I was fascinated by characters and used to as a child wander the fields and sit in ditches for hours and look at people so this poem is called Tropany Moon. You turned up like bits of broken clay pipes found buried in river mud by Dane's mill. With your hair, lip and flattened fringe you mumbled about sheltering ditches, clamped turf, neighbours and fierce rain. You shadowed outhouses, hay sheds, crab apple trees and the road that distant onto heart's height and I, still young enough to be strange, waded behind in the shuh and sluice of your words. And Teresa, where was that? Where, that, what part from it? That was in um, just five miles outside of Enniskillen, but it may as well have been outer Siberia in relation to Enniskillen. It was a townland called Coe, which translates as uh, the valley, and it was full of characters, but there were strange characters, strange characters who wandered around. And this particular man, I remember, had a uh, brown coat, baler twine, and he just used to stand. And as a child, I think your inhibitions aren't there. So I could remember actually standing for what seemed a long time, just looking at him, and the two of us used to look at each other, and it was just the fascination of kind of standing on observation. 
Oh, it's great. I mean, children, I think, have that ability. Yes. They're not afraid. No, no, no. not afraid. Yeah. And, and they see things, you know, memories seep into you and become part of how you see the world and how you articulate with the world and how you converse with the world. And what's that part for man alike now? I mean, has, has it changed hugely? It hasn't really. There are more houses in it, but there's still that deep sense of community and people come together, people help each other. Do you think that's true in general of the county? I mean, I presume it varies a bit from place to place, but I always get the impression that it, it is a strong element of Fermanagh and its people. Yeah, I think people, you know, rely on language and words and connections, and that's what we've heard uh, this evening, is that people are connected through stories and understanding this is important and we want to keep that alive and keep it going and recognise what's gone before us and what we actually can give to society as well. just a few miles outside of Enniskillen on the old Sligo Road and uh, heading for the Silver Swallow Pub veteran old establishment and the owner there Tom McNulty, another veteran The Silver Swallow is the epitome of a well-run bar Everything in its place, customers at their ease and proud of their local If you have a non-alcoholic It's a bit like stepping back in time but not very far back the bar and the proprietor are very much at ease in the present. Tom, um, maybe tell me how long you've had the business here. I have it since 1991. We have a great clientele here, great people. It's a traditional bar, probably about 150 years of age. This part is not as old. But it's a community bar, both sides of the community come in here, which is very gratifying, especially in this part of the country. And would you, would you ever get a few people in on the 12th? I would, yes. It's a big day here. Big day here. And it's, it's very, everyone gets on very well together here. Both communities join in together to play the music on the 12th. No problem whatsoever. And then if it's getting football day, everyone gathers as well. That's it. So we're both sides of Kelly. That's a service too. It is, yeah. One of the regulars sitting at the bar is Francie, and he knows exactly what the Silver Swallow means to people. Everybody's welcome here. When you're leaving home, you come down here, it's like going home, man, we're like, you know. It's very nice to meet you. Thank you very much. And long may you reign here. Thank you, and you like us. Yeah. And you. You're listening to The County Measure and we're in Fermanagh. We've arrived on on the border, and these are the great contradictions. Fermanagh and Donegal divide in the town of Pettigo. The River Tarman, which runs through Pettigo, actually becomes part of the borderline at one point. But the town actually divides most of it in Donegal, but part of it in Fermanagh. And we're going to walk across the border from Fermanagh into Donegal, Remembering the history of Pettigo a mere century ago. It's remarkable to walk across the border, the invisible border between Fermanagh and Donegal, between two jurisdictions, walking into the EU from a part of Ireland now outside of the EU. Brexit doesn't become much simpler or more complex than this. You cross an old cutstone bridge, pass a Freemason's Hall and garage side by side, the number plates on the passing cars, trucks and buses reflecting all the duality and connection and difference. How short a century is and how long. You know, as you walk, I can't help remembering that a century ago this place was a battleground. There was a famous Battle of Pettigo here. The Battle of Pettigo in late May into June of 1922 marked the last time pro- and anti-treaty IRA fought together against British troops. 
I remember seeing a photo of a British armoured car from that battle which was captured by the IRA and driven to Ballyshannon. A few young men, fighters, sitting proudly on top. The British captured it back again in a later skirmish. So it was along the newly created borderline a hundred years ago. A memorial on the Donegal side of the town commemorates the men who died. Here on the Diamond in Pettigo, outside the Diamond Bar, is very well kept, very well maintained memorial. Soldier aloft on his plinth, staring out in proud memory of Patrick Flood, Bernard McCanny, William Kearney, who died fighting against British forces in Pettigo, the 4th of June 1922, and of William Deasley, who died of his wounds on the 6th of June 22. My name's Kieran McManaman. I'm an author from Inniskillen. This is a short story uh, set in Pedigo that I've written based on a conversation that my maternal grandfather had with my father at the war memorial in Pedigo. He was one of the IRA volunteers at the Battle of Pedigo. There's a reference to the railway in the story because Pedigo used to be a major market town, a thriving hub until uh, all the railways in the northwest closed. This is called Wounds. The stout sours in his mouth, so he lifts the whiskey and bleaches his palate. A car roars through the open door and a boy floats to the bar. Sixteen if he's lucky. Trousers flared, provo hair. Something from further back in the eyes, though. When they stop with his own, he holds them. An old man and a boy, gazing at each other through an empty pub. Pettigo went to the dogs when the railway closed. Outside, pain again. So he hangs himself over the wall of the bridge, where a sniper once crippled the first vehicle with a bullet through the head of the driver. Bolts shoot from shoulder to ankle, and he winces as he watches a dipper on a moss-covered rock waiting for mayfly below. Sweat comes, back and thighs drenched. The sun winks at him from beyond the church on the brow of the hill. A cortina with southern plates crosses the bridge from the north, boot saggy with butter or nappies or plastic explosives. The engine backfires and he's up off the wall, fifty years younger, his breath trapped tight in pockets between ribs as he digs himself frantically into the earth of the graveyard. In the square... He stands before the monument, finally. He'd avoided the unveiling, cutting wet sod like a wild man, rather than remembering the temporary damning of an empire. We all ran in the end, though. Didn't we, lads? Except you three. It's hard to run when you're dead. He reads the names up above. Below them lies a fourth... William Deasley died of wounds, 6th of the 6th, 1922. The laugh comes gut first and takes him from his feet. A hand then, and the boy from the bar steadies him, jeans gone, trench coat, hair cut short under a cap. You're some boy, Deasley. She you were shot by your own back in Donegal time. They double together from the joy of it. The old man and the lad blown from his bicycle by a comrade cleaning a rifle. Sure I was dead anyway, Dennis. We might as well blame the Brits. It is Ireland after all. The story always fits the tongue of the teller. They turn for the bridge as the English surge across it. Flood comes running across the square towards them in the brand new boots he'll die in today. Behind him, Lenehan, machine gun over his shoulder, drums perforated, both ears bleeding. The pain builds again as he steps towards them. He's been now. Duty done. There's nothing left to do but get home and teach his children how to die.
Fermanagh holds together on a kind of fault line of history and suppressed division. It's not so much a case of whatever you say, say nothing, as whatever you say, be careful. Watch your words. Protestant and Catholic, Unionist and Nationalist, Orange and Green coexist here with what seems like relative ease. But things are seldom as simple as they might appear. One acute observer of the challenges and balances of community interaction in Fermanagh is Denzel McDaniel, former editor of the Impartial Reporter newspaper. But also an Enniskilliner, born and bred. We go for a walk in Enniskillen. We're standing outside the Church of Ireland, St McCartan's Cathedral. On our left and just a few yards across the street is St Michael's Catholic Church. Those few yards between the churches are quite famous now because in 2012 the Queen visited Enniskillen, attended the service in the Church of Ireland and then walked across the street a few yards the first time that she'd entered a Catholic church. A very symbolic moment. It gave me the great opportunity that week in the Impartial Reporter to use the headline A Few Short Steps for Ma'am, but a huge step forward for relationships in Ireland. Remarkable short walk. This is uh, where we are now. If you look across from... We're still actually on the island of Enniskillen. This whole area here, which is now you know, a library, offices and so on. Massive area, which at one stage when I was growing up was all housing. Because it is an island town, Protestants and Catholics tended to live together, socialised together, played football together. So there was a lot of good relationships between the two. As you can see, the housing is no longer here. What happened was, by the sort of mid-60s, the housing was so bad. You know, three-storey houses where the roof was was wide open and the rain was actually coming down right through the whole building. Uh, People relied on standpipes for water in the streets. There were no toilets. They decided to demolish it all. And it's a bit of a bugbear of mine because... Rather than rebuilding in this area, right in the town centre, they moved all the people out onto housing estates in the outlying areas, which kind of tore the heart out of Inniskillen. But they also caused greater division by people living in different areas. And yet, despite all that, people would still come into town, Protestants and Catholics, there was still a good relationship between the people of Inniskillen. It's one of the better towns, I believe, in the north for those good relationships. So you would say that was a missed opportunity in the 70s to actually consolidate the best of those community relations? I think it was a missed opportunity in many ways because, you know, if you're looking at, at, at a time in history, um, Enniskilleners were getting on really well in the 50s and 60s. There wasn't an awful lot of trouble here. And yet, at the very time when troubles were breaking out, they were actually moving people away from each other. It's one of the great things that I believe that we miss an opportunity. It's, it's human connections. If we keep people together, I think there's enough division because we educate our kids separately. You know, there's an awful lot of uh, problems with identity and so on. But if we actually then take it a stage further and people who are already together, socialising together, if we move their housing and they live separately, then what else can we expect but more division? We're now outside the integrated schooling campus where you have a primary school and an integrated college. Enniskillen was one of the first towns in the north to get integrated education. The system in Northern Ireland is that Protestants and Catholics generally are educated separately. But in the late 1980s, there was a movement here. One of the prime movers in integrated education in Enniskillen was a, a man called John Maxwell whose son Paul was killed in the Mount Batten bomb in Markmore in 79. Uh, John was a great believer that part of our problem was that children were educated separately. So he, he began with others and they did form a primary school uh, in, in Enniskillen and then after that came the, the secondary education and they're both very successful schools. 
As you make the point as well, uh, just reading uh, one of, of, of your columns from the Impartial Report recently, and I, I got a good laugh where you said that uh, in terms of stereotyping of of the Protestant community around, that, that there is many different types of Protestants as there are baked beans, you know. Yes, yes, is it, yeah, is it yeah. 57 or 58 different types? Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that image of the diversity that, of course, is the case. Yeah. But a, a lot of the time, on all sides in life, people are reduced to stereotypes and to fight against them. I don't know whether it's a Protestant thing or not, but there is this kind of individual nature to Protestantism. Um, you know, we're, we're standing in an area where there are the main churches, the Church of Ireland, we have Presbyterian, we have Methodist, we have the Salvation Army across here, um, we have Free Presbyterians, we have Independent Methodists, we have Baptists, you name it. You know, there are so many different opinions from Protestants and yet we're all lumped together into this one one thing. I would also maintain, this is a, this is a personal thing, that um, I think we need to recognise more that actually there are, are such things as Protestant Irish, uh, of which I'm one. Um, there's a great quote from uh, Edna Longley back in the 80s who said that Catholics are born Irish, but uh, uh, Protestants have to work their passage to Irishness. Um, and I think that's very sad because, you know, we're all born on the island of Ireland. We're born on the island of Enniskillen and people do get on together and they have their own identity and they have their own views. But this is an Irish town. The unmistakable, handsome face of Adrian Dunbar on a wall of a back street in Enniskillen. The slogan, his catchphrase, now we're sucking diesel, reminds me of Fermanagh's droll humour. Like the one about the farmer driving home one evening who stopped by a British army patrol. Where are you coming from, they ask. I'm coming from killing a man, says he. And where are you going to? I'm going to kill more. There. In a few sentences, a world of difference and misunderstanding. The gulf between one language and another. The gulf between worlds. I reckon it would have made Brian Friel laugh. Fermanagh is a special place. For me, it has long represented some otherness. A place slightly apart, but intrinsically close and familiar. It always feels like home, and home isn't always easy or simple. Next week, we go south to Waterford to the sea and the Comoros and the worlds between. That's next week's County Measure. The County Measure with Vincent Woods is part of our decade of centenary celebrations here on RTE Radio 1 and the programme was produced by Colette Kinsella.